continue on with our series in the series entitled Being a Disciple. And if you need Spanish translation, it will uh, be available for you. You can get the headsets in the corner to the back uh, of the sanctuary to my left, and uh, they will be translating. We've looked at over the last few weeks a number of topics in this category of of uh, being a disciple. We've looked at the importance of the church and the fact that you can't serve Jesus by yourself, but that you need somebody to uh, come alongside with you, the body of believers called the Church of Jesus Christ, and that you need a pastor in your life, someone who is preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. We looked at the fact that God is worthy of every praise, that He is worthy of every lifted hand, every hallelujah, every time that we clap or lift our hands or we sing a song of worship, but He's also worthy of the way in which we live our lives. And we looked at the concept of growing in spiritual maturity, that God doesn't want us to stay where we are. That as a new convert or someone who is a new follower of Jesus, that is not the end goal. But the end goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that we are to continue to grow and to be mature in our relationship with Jesus and in our walk with Jesus and in our understanding of who He is and our understanding of His Word and our, excuse me, our understanding of how He wants us to live. And then we looked at the fact that ownership is everything, that God owns it all, that we are stewards, we are managers of what God has put in our hands, but it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. So all of that under this umbrella of being a disciple. And, and the reality is this sermon series is topically at least the same as the series I preached uh, last summer, Seven Marks of a Disciple, and you see those in the pre-service loop and the post-service loop that we are to be members of the body of Christ, we're to be magnifiers or to be worshipers, we're to be maturing, we're to be managers, we're to be ministers and being involved in the working of the kingdom, and we are to be messengers and we're to be multipliers today looking at the next topic in that list I'm going to turn your attention to Romans chapter 1 I'm going to read just a few verses Romans 1 14 through 17 Paul said this I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Today I want to preach for just a little bit on this 
thought, the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. There is a childhood saying, you hear it on playgrounds, and you only hear this particular saying when someone is calling another person names. And it is this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? (laughs) The reality is, is that we say that because it's actually not true that words do hurt and words do have an impact on, on our lives. And there have been times in my life when people have spoken things to me or about me that changed the trajectory of my life. Changed how I lived and changed how I thought about myself or changed how I thought about things. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Somebody said to me when I was 12 years old, I was singing, and I have, some, I have this genetic defect. I sing all the time. And my genetic defect means that I make up songs all the time. I'm constantly making up songs. Somebody will say something and it'll trigger something else in my brain and I'll make up a song to a certain, uh, and it's usually to another melody or something, and I'll I'll make up a song. And I sing all the time. But when I was 12, I was singing, and someone said to me that you really shouldn't do that because you're not very good. I wasn't on a platform, I wasn't on a stage, I was just walking around singing. And that little phrase impacted my life. In fact, it was some 30 plus years before I would sing in a microphone if people weren't singing with me. They just said I wasn't very good. Now, I, I realize that I, I'm not some great singer. I get that. I get up here and I do it out of necessity. I do it as worship to the Lord, but I do it out of necessity to, to lead in worship. But for some 30 years, I would sing with people, but I would never start a song off. They had, if, they weren't, if they weren't ready to hit, if I had a praise team with me or whatever, and they weren't ready to sing, then we just kept, we just kept playing the introduction. Because they had to sing with me. They had to start the song, and then I would sing with them, but I wouldn't sing by myself. Those words spoken just in a moment of passing impacted how I felt about myself, impacted my life. Words are powerful, and words shape destinies. A guy I listened to on a podcast, he frequently says this, that words shape worlds and what he means by that is that when you speak things it's not that it's some creative force that that God is using or that your words are creative in and of themselves but it changes at what's going on around you and that when you speak certain things people listen and people tune in to what you're saying and it changes the way people act and it changes what people believe there is a saying that The pen is mightier than the sword. What that means is this, is that you can come in with a sword and you can try to take over a nation or try to take over territory, but 
the writer can put stuff on paper and that writing on paper, those words on paper, it influences our thoughts and it describes what could be or what can be. And over time, people start getting the idea that what's written there can really be lived out and so they start wanting it. And if it's, if it's writing about freedom in a, in a place of captivity or oppression, then people start going, I can be free and this is what it looks like to be free and this is what it looks like to have freedom. And before long, the pen that just wrote those words will turn and there will be a revolution and it will overthrow the government who has the sword. Because words are important and words mean things and words are powerful. When it comes to spiritual things, words are also powerful. Words are are used to describe our sin and its consequences. It is words that tell us how God views our sin and how God views our uh, relationship or a lack of relationship with Him. It, it talks about, and words describe an eternity apart from God, and it talks about and, and describes these words how our lives are impacted by sin and what it means to us. Words are also used to enlighten people to the possibility of salvation. That it's words that tell people you don't have to go to hell, but you can go to heaven. It's words that are used to tell people there is a possibility of an eternity with Jesus Christ. Words are used to describe what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have eternal life. It's words that are used to convey that to people. But understand this, words must be spoken here it's not just a matter of pen and paper but when it comes to the gospel and it comes to sharing the gospel words must be spoken paul would write later in the book of romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god that when the Word of God is spoken to an individual and the Word of God is spoken into their life, that something happens and faith is built up and they can then believe that what they are hearing is the Word of God and that it is true and it can have an impact on them. And This good news about salvation, it must be shared. This sharing of this good news, we call it evangelism and It is this evangelism that Paul is writing in chapter 1. It is that evangelism that is the power of the gospel. In its basic sense, evangelism is the communication of the gospel by saved people to lost people. It is not inviting people to church or getting people to be religious. Evangelism, in essence, is communicating the gospel. Or as Edward Henson would say, evangelism is simply defined as sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Telling somebody that doesn't know Jesus the good news or the gospel. Something though that is that simple, just telling them Jesus died so that you could have life. Jesus 
went to the cross and took the punishment for your sin so you don't have to pay it if you follow Him. Something that simple is often very hard to do. Can I get an amen? It's very, oftentimes it's just, it's, you could sum it up in two or three sentences, but it's often very difficult for us to share that two or three or four sentences with somebody. So how can we share it and what can motivate us to share the gospel and what attitude will enable us to share the gospel with others? It is no question that it is an imperative for those who are Christian. I'm going to look at four attitudes or motivations today. And the first is this, we are obligated to evangelize. We are obligated to evangelize. Paul would write it this way in verse 14. He says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He he lists this as something that is a requirement for him. He is obligated to do it. And and an obligation is this, something that you have to do. An obligation is not something that is optional. Optional and obligation, they are on opposite ends of a spectrum. So he says, I am under obligation. And he spells it out, and you can see it on the screen behind me. He said, I'm I'm under obligation to Greeks and to barbarians, to wise and to foolish. He uses these particular distinctions here instead of saying Jews and Gentiles, which is what he normally does, but he He's setting up this idea that the gospel is foolishness to them. This idea of just preaching a message and giving these three or four sentences that that has any power, he says. But whether you're a Greek and you have all this education and all this knowledge or you're a barbarian, and he says it in a different way, whether you're wise or foolish, and he's lining those two things up that the Greeks is equivalent to the wise and the barbarian equivalent to the foolish. He says it doesn't matter which category you put them in. He said, I'm under obligation to share the gospel. So why is he under this obligation? Well, Paul would say it of himself that he is the chief of sinners. He who has killed Christians and he who was going about in his zealousness for the Jewish faith, killing those who were following Jesus. He says, I'm under obligation. I'm persecuting them. I'm killing them. And then in the middle of that, On the road to Damascus, a great light shines from heaven. I hear a voice and see no man, and this voice lets lets him know that it's Jesus and that he is persecuting Jesus when he's persecuting those who follow Jesus. And he lets him know that Jesus is God. He says, you're persecuting me when you do that. And he said, it's not going to be good for you. He said, but go into the house of Ananias to a street called Straight, and he'll tell you what to do to be saved. And So Paul, the chief of sinners, the persecutor of the church, has a salvation experience when he gets to Ananias' house and he he receives the Spirit and the scales fall off his eyes which had been blinded on the road to Damascus and he's baptized in the name of Jesus. He says because of that, because of what God has done and because of his, his salvation and because of his calling, he said, I am under obligation to preach the gospel. He said, I don't have any other choice 
But I would tell you that it's not just Paul who is under obligation to preach the gospel. It's not just Paul who's under obligation to share the gospel, but you and I are also obligated. When Jesus saves us, as I mentioned earlier, it is not the end of the journey. It's not just so that you and I can be saved, but He saves us so that we can live with Him forever, but He also saves us so that we can take others to live with Him forever. That our obligation in the gospel is to share it with everybody we know and think about what God has done for you. Because He's done it for us, we have an obligation to share that good news with others. Ryan Kuyper would say it this way, every single believer is a God-ordained agent of evangelism. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are under obligation to share the gospel. John Blanchard would say it this way, evangelism is morally right. It is the payment of a debt. We are obligated because of what Jesus has done for us to share the gospel with others. But that obligation oftentimes doesn't motivate us clearly enough. So Paul would say in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He speaks of this eagerness to evangelize, this eagerness to come to Rome and share the gospel of Jesus with them. If you've been around church or Christianity for a while, and I were to ask you to rate your eagerness to go out and tell somebody about Jesus today and put that on a scale of 1 to 10 and 10 is, you're not even waiting until I'm done preaching. You're going out the door because you can't wait to go tell somebody about Jesus. And one being, I couldn't give you enough money to tell somebody. <laughs> I would say that most of us would be on the lower half of that spectrum. That most of us would not be a 10, so and I, I just can't wait to go do it. There are a lot of cultural reasons for that. But Paul said, I'm eager to preach the gospel. See, Paul, has, he is not the one who started the church in Rome, but he would write in the first part of chapter 1, he would write about his thanks, thankfulness for the church in Rome and for what they're doing and talking about how he prays for the church in Rome. And understand, it's partly because Rome is the head of the the seat of power of the Roman Empire. Not only is it the seat of power, but Rome is full of pagan worship, as is most of the empire, but Rome also has what's called emperor worship, and they are worshiping the emperor, the, the emperor of Rome. They consider him to be God, and so they worship him, and they worship all these false gods. And Paul says at the beginning, he said, in the middle of all of that, there is a church and there is a body of believers. He said, I, I pray for you and I can't wait to come and share some stuff 
about Jesus with you and let you share some stuff about Jesus with me. But this eagerness sometimes we do things out of duty or obligation as I mentioned. But much more than duty is to have a desire. If I could paint this maybe in a relationship situation, if it's a marriage relationship, there's a lot of things in a marriage relationship that can just become routine and become everyday and it becomes a duty. You don't look forward to doing it. Same thing with, with being a parent. If you're a parent today, how many times have you done stuff for your kids you didn't really want to do? Go ahead, show hands. A few hands. It's, it's a duty. You got something you want to do, and you can't do what you want to do because you have to do what they need or what they want. And that's not always that fun, but we do it out of this obligation and this responsibility and this duty, but there are other times, and maybe it should be this way most of the time, is we can't wait to do stuff for our kids. We can't wait to do stuff for our spouse, that we do it out of a desire to please them and a desire to help them and and a desire to, to help them accomplish whatever it is that they need. And I would tell you that we should look forward and excite and be excited to share the gospel. But it's sometimes difficult. Robert Coleman would say, when our hearts are filled with Christ's presence, evangelism is inevitable as it is contagious. I will tell you what will cause you to have an eagerness to share the gospel, that when you do it, maybe out of obligation, and someone responds to the gospel, and they decide to follow Jesus because of you, what you have said to them, then you have this desire, go, I can't wait to do that again. It is what we were created to do, it is what we are saved to do, and when we do it, and we're effective at it, then we have this eagerness to share the gospel, and to see other people's hearts and lives changed, and see them transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll want to share it when we understand the power of the gospel and its consequence. And understand this, that not sharing the gospel is the number one reason people do not follow Jesus. It's that simple. And when you understand that the consequence of not sharing the gospel means that the person you don't share it with has no hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ, then it should make us eager to share the gospel. There are all kinds of ways people categorize stuff. For Paul, I mentioned it a while ago, he put, these, he put them in two categories. They're Greeks or they're barbarians. 
frequently he would use this idea, says it's either Jews or Gentiles. If I could paint it and put it in this category, everybody in the world falls into two categories. They're either saved or they're lost. I mean, that's it. There's no half saved, part saved, three quarters saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either on your way to spending an eternity with Jesus or you're on your way to spending an eternity in hell. It's the only two options. There is no third option, no fourth option, no fifth option. It's that cut and dried. It's just an either or. And what I would encourage you today is this, to understand that it is the sharing of the gospel that leads people to having a saving relationship with Jesus, which means the sharing of the gospel has power to change and transform people's eternal destiny. And the consequences of not hearing the gospel are eternal. Thirdly, we should be unashamed to evangelize. Paul, verse 16, the beginning of this, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. says, I'm eager to go and share the gospel. And why am I eager? Because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to tell people about the gospel. I'm not ashamed to tell people that this story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection That that story, when they believe it and when they apply it to their lives through repentance and water baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit evidence and speaking in other tongues, that I'm not ashamed because I believe when I share that and they do that, their destiny is changed. Their eternal home is changed. So I'm not ashamed to share the gospel because it's going to be what will bring people to heaven. Talking to a guy the other day, same guy I was talking to about Mary. And he was getting ready to go have lunch with an atheist friend of his. Said this friend of his, when they would talk about God or the Bible or anything, this friend of him, his would say, you're a smart guy, do you really believe that? Do you really believe this Bible stuff? Do you really believe that? How how can you believe in his words? How can you believe those fairy tales? I would tell you this is more than just a story. The Bible is more than just a good book. Two apologists and an apologist are people who defend the Christian faith comes from the Greek word apologia, not like you're apologizing for something and saying you're sorry, but apologia, defending the faith, and two Christian apologists were atheists, two different generations, but they set out to prove that the Bible wasn't true and that the stories in the Bible couldn't be true, but at the end of their study, both Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, after looking at 
the Bible and looking at the evidence that supported what the Bible said and, and looking at it for themselves. Instead of disproving the Bible, both of them decided that the Bible was entirely true and that Jesus was the only way to salvation. I would tell you, how can you believe something else? How can you, what I would say is this, how can you not believe the Bible? How can you not believe that the God of the universe spoke all of this into existence? How can you not believe that? Because the alternative is to believe that something out in, in space created all of this. I've told this maybe before, but there's a great documentary. I would encourage you to watch it. It's called Expelled. A guy named Ben Stein did this documentary, and he talks about in, in this documentary, the whole point is that creationism has been expelled from academia. That if you believe in creationism, you get kicked out of your teaching positions and you don't get tenure and you, you get passed over for promotion in the university system in many places. And it, it goes on for quite a while and he does interview after interview but near the end of the documentary, he talks to these brilliant thinkers from around the world. People like Stephen Hawkins and others that, that people hold in high esteem as being these great mental and brilliant thinkers. And their, their answer for where everything we see around us came from is that it was either crystals somehow or another that collided with each other and it created all of this. Or extraterrestrials did it. That's their answer. But the easy answer to, to say, to, the, the easiest rebuttal to that is, well, where did the crystals come from? Where did the extraterrestrials come They had to come from somewhere. And no matter how far back you want to go, even if you believe that, you have to come back to something called the uncaused cause. That there has to be something that started everything and there has to be something from which everything came when there was nothing in existence. And that uncaused cause is the God of the universe. We're living in a time right now when there is this great push for us to believe in extraterrestrials. And it's not the E.T. version. I never saw E.T., but it's not some goofy little creature that some may think is cute, who's all nice and cuddly. In fact, just recently, numerous cities and governments and the federal government said, prepare for an invasion from outer space. Anybody hear that? Trust me, it's on, it was on the news. They were, they were pushing for us to be prepared for an invasion from outer space. Pushing the idea that there is no God, but there's these aliens out there. And they're coming here. Part of what's going on in our world today Hope this is what you came for. Let <laughs> me tell you some current events. 
But part of what's going on in our world today is this idea that there are extraterrestrials out there. And at some point, there may be a mass beaming up of people from the earth into outer space. But if that happens, if millions of people all of a sudden disappear, aliens did it. Why is that important? Because the Bible talks about an event where millions of us are going to disappear. It is called the rapture where God is going to call us up and we're going to meet Jesus Christ in the air. It is the rapture of the church. But if you don't believe in God and, and you, you don't believe in salvation, then guess what? Satan knows this is really going to happen. He knows the Bible. He knows there is a rapture coming. And so he's already working on putting his spin on it that when millions of people disappear, it's not God like those Christians say. It's aliens who have abducted them. You think this is far afield, you just you do a little research. Our governments here in the United States are saying we're getting ready for an alien invasion. Why? Should we be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ when they're pushing and promoting that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You want to believe in extraterrestrials, that's fine. I'll tell you what they if there are things that come and look like that, they're not from outer space they're demonic forces that's what the bible would say and so i would tell you there's no reason to be ashamed of the gospel of jesus christ in our world they may call you crazy but the reality is they're the ones who are crazy for believing some of the things that are going on fourthly and lastly as i hurry we should be confident to evangelize the second half of verse 16 says, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here Paul comes back to his normal two-pronged deal. It's the Jew or Greek. It is the power of God that saves. No matter what your religious view, you, when you come to Jesus, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, you're a Jew or you're a Greek, he said the power of God is in the gospel. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I would tell you that we can be confident in the gospel because it is powerful. We can be confident in the gospel because it is the gospel that saves everyone who believes. And understand that believe in the Bible is a little different than our current application of the word believe. In our current Christian climate in North America, at least believe means that you just mentally assent to some facts. That mentally you believe something is true. You may not live it out. You may not follow it. It would be equivalent to the fact that I know Eating high fat and sugary food is bad. Anybody, anybody attest to that? If I'm eating fat and sugar together, it's going to be bad for me. I'm going to gain weight. My health is going to deteriorate. I believe that's true. But guess what I do? 
I eat unhealthy all the time. Mentally, I know it's true. Well, I don't follow it. I don't eat healthy. I don't, eat ex- I don't exercise like I should. I don't eat as bad as some. But that's not the litmus test. And in the same way that me knowing that eating something unhealthy is not good for me, when people say, I believe in Jesus but don't follow Him, they're not a Christian. They're saying they believe there are some facts that are out there that are true. But believing those facts doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus, just like believing that eating unhealthy is bad for me. It doesn't make me healthy by knowing that that is true. It doesn't make me healthy by just going, I shouldn't have this cake or donut. It's what I do that matters. And what I would tell you, it's what you do that matters. But all who follow Jesus, it is the gospel who brings them to salvation. And the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And it makes us understand that He is holy and we are not. And the only way we can get that holiness is when we follow Him and He imputes that righteousness and holiness to us. It is not pie in the sky, nor is it wishful thinking. But the gospel works and it is the only means of salvation. We are called to be messengers of and for Jesus. We have an obligation to evangelize. We should be eager to evangelize and unashamed to evangelize and confident to evangelize. And by evangelize, it's just the word that means to share the gospel. To put that phrase, share the gospel, which is three words, to put it in one. And say to share the gospel. The reality is that we cannot share what we do not possess or we are not confident of. That if we do not have a saving relationship with Jesus, it's pretty hard to tell somebody else how to be saved. Or if we're not confident that that message of salvation will work and that message of salvation is needful, it's pretty hard to share the gospel. So I would tell you that everyone in this room needs to live And follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life. And that He died in our place. And because He died in our place, we can have eternal life. But it's not just because he died, but he was buried and he rose again the third day. And that when we really believe that, we follow that and we apply it to our lives by repenting of our sins, by being buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues. Paul would say, as I mentioned earlier, that he would call himself 
chief of sinners. The reality is this, though, that everyone is a sinner. And everyone is in need of a Savior. That Jesus, the only one who ever lived and walked this earth that didn't need a Savior, everyone else needs a Savior. And I would tell you that if you really believe that, it would be much easier to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I realize that this may be a challenging message maybe not when you stand up here you you observe body language and facial expressions and and then frequently you can just sense there's this spiritual connection that you just kind of know when people are receiving what you're saying and when they're not But one of the most important things God has called us to be as disciples of Jesus is to be messengers, to be sharers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And think about it in this framework. If the people who shared the gospel with you or the people who shared the gospel with your parents or your grandparents that wherever you put that line of when you your family came to know truth that wherever you draw that line whether it was with you or your grandparents or your parents or whatever. If the person who shared the gospel with them had shared the gospel like you or I do, would you be saved today? Because nobody in this room gets saved apart from somebody sharing the gospel with them. My understanding, my, my grandparents were the first ones in our family to come to truth and become true followers of Jesus. Happened, I believe, somewhere around 1953. I have no idea who told them about the gospel. I don't know the story. Maybe my dad knows the story. That we'll be together this week. I should find it out. But they didn't come to know Jesus just because they saw it in the Bible. And they didn't come to know Jesus because it was on a billboard. 
they came to know Jesus because somebody told them and explained the gospel to them. And wherever you are on that journey, you wouldn't be on that journey if someone had not shared the gospel with you or your family or your wife or your parents or your grandparents. So my admonition to you today is this. Believe the power of the gospel and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand together? My threefold call to action, which is typical, is this. Pray for boldness to share the gospel today. Ask God to give you a boldness to proclaim His word to all that you are around. And I would encourage you to study, to become confident in your ability to share the gospel. Confident in your ability to tell others about what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for others. And lastly, say there's no time like the present. So would you commit to sharing the gospel with somebody today? That may be a big ask, but would you share gospel with somebody today would you lift your hands right now your hearts to the Lord and would you ask him to work in you to give you a boldness to share the gospel would you ask him to give you a desire to share the gospel with those who are around you Would you ask Him to help you to become equipped to share the gospel and that you would be confident in what you know of the Bible and what you know of the truth of God's Word so that you could share the gospel with somebody today. Jesus, we love you. We magnify your name today. We magnify your name today. We magnify your name today. Lord, we want to be the witnesses that you've called us to be, Lord.